If you'll open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs chapter 3, we are chugging along in the book of Proverbs, and we are growing in wisdom, Lord willing. You know, I just feel like a child as I study this, as a young child, and and it's just the Father just pouring out wisdom into my heart, into my mind. Um, One of the beautiful things as you study the Word of God is we can learn through his word so we don't make poor choices in life. Uh, we, we can learn through his word so that we grow and mature or we can choose the school of hard knocks and we can choose to go our own way and many of us have testimonies here tonight where we've gone our own way and the Lord in his mercy reached down and he saved us and delivered us from the pits. Um, but wouldn't it be a joy to see not only the people in our church, but as we see a younger generation coming forward, to see minds and hearts transformed by the power of God's word so that that generation didn't have to go through the things that some of us have gone through. And that's the beauty of a book like Proverbs, is that God wants to speak wisdom to us so that we can be skillful with the knowledge that he gives us, so that we can apply God's word to our life in a way that will prevent us a lot of heartache, a lot of bad decisions. And as we study this book, obviously we want to keep our own hearts and our own minds at the forefront as we study it. We don't want to immediately think of someone else, which is a temptation at times. Um, But I think sometimes you can't help but think about maybe people that you're praying for, situations that are going on, and you just think, wow, if, if they would just read your word, Lord, it would spare so much. Um, and that's our Heavenly Father. He is a good, good Father, as we sing so often. He wants to impart wisdom to us. He wants good things for us. He, and, he, and if He did not withhold His only Son, will He withhold anything good from us? Of course, the answer is no. He gave His Son. And therefore, we can have confidence knowing that He wants to give good things. He will, good, good, he will give good things. He is the Father of lights. And there's no shadow or turning in him. He doesn't change. He doesn't tell us one thing and then go around and and switch it up on us and and flip the script and then leave us stranded. You know, he's consistent. He's faithful. His word endures forever. So as we begin to look at chapter 3, we see, again, this child that the father is speaking to. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. And notice here, right at the beginning of this proverb, uh, he reminds us, first of all, the importance of the mind. Do not forget my law. You know, everything starts going through this thing we call the mind, the brain, the filter that we're receiving information through. And, and hopefully, as Christians, we don't turn off our minds uh, and, and just walk by blind faith. That's not what God calls us to as Christians. So if ever you meet people who think, well, you're a Christian, you just walk by blind faith, you have no, uh, no understanding or, or, or substance, I don't think they've ever read the, the Bible. Because I know as I study Scripture, the, the Bible just expands my mind in ways that nothing else I've ever studied does. Because it's God who's eternal stepping into time and revealing truth to us in a way that our, that I'll say for me, my pea brain mind can comprehend and understand. 
You know, so for example, if you've ever studied the book of Revelation, a book of symbols and signs and things, you know, that book will expand your mind. That book will make you think, it will stretch you, it will cause you to go not only in Revelation, it will cause you to go to Daniel and different parts of the Old Testament. It's going to stretch us. And so he's here encouraging us not to forget my law or his word, that it's something that has to be at the forefront of our mind. And we have to be filtering everything through that mind. And that's the importance of as you grow in your knowledge of the Lord, as you grow in your knowledge of the word of God, isn't it true that you filter everything through that lens? I mean, I hope right now that you're filtering what I tell you through the lens that you've developed through the years of scripture learning. And if you're a new believer, well, you've got to start somewhere. And so you grow, you understand you're a sinner, you understand you're saved by grace, you understand Jesus paid it all for you, he resurrected from the dead. That's about all you know as a new believer. But what a foundation is that? And as you begin to grow, you begin to read the word of God, all of a sudden now you're, you're just seeing everything through this new lens. And you're listening to people and, and sometimes you hear something and you're like, something's not right with that. You know, I'm discerning. I can't even pick it out necessarily, but it just doesn't ring right to me. And so then you go back to the word, hopefully, and you begin to search and dig and find out what the truth is, what God reveals through his word. That's part of growing as a Christian. But here the concern is not just to obtain that knowledge or that wisdom through the word, but don't forget it. Don't forget the truth of God's word. And notice it doesn't just start and stop with the mind, though. He also wants us in a positive light to let your heart keep my commands. And I believe that's actually the key of not allowing ourselves to forget the word. See, if it's just something in your head, if you're like me, you have so much information coming into your head on a daily basis especially in our digital day and age where you have within five seconds of an event, you have your, your smartphone alerting you to some type of news. You can find information out about almost anything today by Googling it. And yet, most of that information comes in one ear and out the other, or comes through the eyes, and I don't know where it goes after that. Uh, but, but we lose it. We forget it. We, we just place it into the, the filing banks somewhere, maybe sometimes never to be retrieved again. But when we allow God's word to enter our hearts, and that speaks of our innermost being, the place from which everything in life flows from within us. It is the deepest, in the deepest sense, you. It is your heart Sometimes it might say your bowels. It's, it's, it's from within, deep within, this source where God wants to get to the very center of your being. And his word is able to dissect. Isn't his word able to kind of, like a surgeon, just dissect, divide soul and spirit, joint and marrow? It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. But we have to allow the word of God to take root in our lives, in our hearts. And so it has to go from our head to our hearts. And sometimes... That's a pretty long distance. But he exhorts us here not only to not forget the law, but let your heart keep my commands. That our obedience to the Lord's word has to stem from our hearts. It's not just rote memorization, and it's not just rote obedience. It's not just blind obedience. It's, it's allowing the word of God to reveal Christ to us. And as Christ becomes precious to our hearts, there is this great joy in obeying the Lord's word. 
And that's when, it's, that's when it sticks, I've learned in my life, when it becomes precious to me, when it becomes real to the deepest parts of my life. It's not just memorization, though memorization's good. You know, I would just encourage you, it's good to memorize scripture, but again, it's not about who memorizes the most scripture. It's about chewing on that scripture then and allowing the Holy Spirit to allow that word to go deep into you, into your heart. And here's what's so cool is sometimes you're going through something in life and isn't it true that the Holy Spirit takes that word that you might even forget at times and he just brings that word to your mind. And it's the perfect word for the perfect moment because God knows what we need even when we don't know what we need. And so allow God's word to enter your heart. You know, open your heart up to the Lord as you open his word, hopefully every day, and you spend time with him. And notice there's this blessing with that, verse 2, for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. See, God wants us to have a blessed life. Now, it might not be the blessed life that you'll hear prosperity preachers teach about. It's not talking about, you know, having a, uh, five figures in your bank account. It's not talking about having a Rolls Royce and a mansion on the hill. But the Lord wants to bless our life. I believe that with all my heart. And he wants good things for us. And he wants us to have a prosperous life in Christ. And what that looks like, again, it's about the inner things, really, more than anything else. And notice here that you have peace. That's an inner heart thing. See, what good is it to have long days if there's no peace? Whether that be external peace, you have long days, you can live to 100, but there's just chaos in your life. Everyone's fighting and bickering and there's hatred and there's just everything that's not of God. Then long life becomes a curse. But when there's peace coupled with long life. See, this is, this is a blessing of the Lord, and he wants to work that in us. Ultimately, he wants to work eternal life in us. It begins in the moment we trust Christ as our Lord and our Savior, and it continues for eternity. You know, he, get, he died to give us eternal life. And so that is the longest of days, the longest of life that Christ offers us. Let not mercy and truth forsake you, but bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Notice that he wants these two things, or he does not want us to forsake two things here, mercy and truth. You know, and he wants us here to actually bind them around our neck. Okay? It's almost like putting a, a necklace on. You want this thing to be over you. And you want people not only to acknowledge that you've experienced the Lord, you want people to see this in your life. You know, when you put a necklace on, usually we put it on for people to see, don't we? Or at least for ourselves to see, I guess, if you don't see it through the clothing. And so when we put a necklace on, it, it's, to, it's to draw attention to something. You know, and whatever it is that maybe you have a cross or you have a, an initial or you have some type of stone that reminds you of your child's date of birth or, or, or something that you have there, it's, it's, it's precious to you. And when people see that necklace that you're wearing, it, it tells them something about you. And so as we bind these things around our necks, people should be able to see, wow, you know, this guy, he values mercy. He values truth. And of course, it's not a physical necklace. People who get to know us, who encounter us, who you bump shoulders with, who you maybe have an, uh, someone who, uh, 
I don't know, accidentally bumps into your car. At that moment, are you wearing mercy and truth? <laughs> Would someone say, wow, you know, this person's so different from the last guy I bumped into. <laughs> Maybe we got to take this person's license away, but still. But as people run into us, what is it that they see? Is it God's mercy? Have we been transformed by God's mercy? Because guess what? As you are transformed by mercy, what does that make you? That makes you merciful to other people. As you behold God's truth, hopefully as, as a Christian, you wear truth on your sleeve. That you speak truth to those in your life. And so mercy and truth, let them not forsake you. Bind them around your neck. But also notice, again, he wants to emphasize this is not something external. Or it doesn't begin on the external. You can't just wear a shirt that says mercy. You know, or, or put a bumper sticker on your car. Mercy and truth. And then you cut the next person off and you kind of lose your testimony. Yeah. You've probably seen Christians where everything's external. You know, they wear the Jesus shirt. They got the Jesus hat. They got the Jesus bumper sticker. And then you listen to them talk and you're like, man, put the Jesus stuff away. You're not helping. <laughs> I've actually thought that before. Like, before you start wearing that stuff, make sure the inside is reflecting what you're wearing on the outside. But notice he says here, not just around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Notice they had iPads back in Solomon's day. You see, on one hand, this is a work of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? See, part of the blessing of the new covenant in Christ is that he would take what used to be an external law, a law that could not help us, it just condemned us, it just said, don't do this, and we were left helpless. But the new covenant in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. And what does he do? He, he begins to transform our hearts. He puts his laws with, within our hearts. He gives us a desire to read God's word. He gives us a desire to know God's word. He gives us a love for God's word, right? And so part of this is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life as Christians. And this is what he does. If you don't value God's word, if you don't love God's word, well... That's a warning sign that maybe God's Spirit is not doing that work inside of you. I can say that for my life for 20 years. I knew the Bible was God's Word from a head knowledge, but there was no heart in it. But the way that this text is written, notice he says here, he, he's not necessarily just talking about the work of God. Notice he's also reminding us to write them on the tablet of our hearts. In other words, we must be active in filling our hearts with the Word of God. Okay? We don't get this by through osmosis. Just because you're a born-again believer, just because you've trusted in Christ, it's not like you're a computer that's just been put this chip inside of you and all of a sudden you know all of the Bible, right? Well, that would be kind of cool to just know everything from Genesis 1 to Revelation and you just have it all up here. I mean, that would be amazing. But would that be a relationship? So when you trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, yes, the Spirit's doing that work in you. But then we have to actually open up this book. And we have to read it and meditate on it and study it. And hopefully a lot more than just Thursday night and Sunday morning, right? Because that's just, that's just to whet your appetite. 
But it's in that alone time with the Lord when you get alone with him and you open up your word and you allow the spirit of God to unfold his word before your eyes that his word begins to become a part of you. And it begins to transform you from the inside out and he writes it on our hearts. And it's not from duty, but rather a loving devotion. Think of a love letter. I know some of us have to think longer than others on that one. Um, If and when you got a love letter and you open that baby, think about how you analyzed every single word over and over and over again. And you were captivated by this person. You couldn't help but wonder what this person thought of you and what you thought of this person. And they're expressing their feelings towards you. And whatever it is, you know, they're writing a little hearts and all that mushy-gushy stuff. Maybe it smells like the, the cologne or the perfume. And so you just keep it with you and you open it up, you know, every chance you get. But isn't that how God's word should be for the believer? I mean, this is his love letter to us. Perhaps you've heard it said, written in blood, that our Savior died and he gave us his word. And he gave us his word to bless us, to reveal himself to us, so that we could know him, so that we could know his thoughts toward us. Isn't that amazing? To know what God's thoughts are towards us? Because before Christ, I used to think of God as just there with the hammer, ready to drop it on me the first time I screwed up. But as I began to study the word, I began to realize, wow, God is so patient. Like, he'll wait 400 years before he judges a people where I can't even wait 400 seconds. And you learn his patience towards you. You learn his love towards you. Think of Ezra in Ezra 7.10 where Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach the statutes and ordinances in Israel. That Ezra understood it was a heart issue. And he, he prepared his heart before he even got near the word of God. And when he got to the word, his heart was ready. And when the word hit his heart, it, it, it produced this fruit in his life. He couldn't help but share it with others. And I believe that's what it's supposed to be like in our life. You know, If you're just taking in the word of God, then you'll become like the Dead Sea. You have an inlet but no outlet. There's just nothing happening. You're just coming and hearing the word, hearing the word, hearing the word. But when the word of God grips your heart, isn't it the natural reaction you just want to go out and share it with someone? It's kind of like hearing a good joke. When you hear a good joke, you can't keep it to yourself. You've got to tell someone. And I believe that's a picture of what God wants to do through our lives. And so we see here, write it on the tablet of your heart. And we're also going to see the tangible result of this in verse 4. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. You see, God understands what this life is really about. Relationships, right? We, we understand his word has a way of helping us to focus on what really matters in this life because we get distracted at times. We get distracted by things that really don't matter. We get distracted by things that really, you know, who cares what the celebrity's wearing today? Who cares about a million things that we're bombarded with on a regular basis, especially, again, in our society of constant information, constant information. And yet God's word has a way of just kind of like clearing out all the clutter, all the mess, all the stuff in our head that we accumulate. And it allows us to focus on the things that are important. And we see here, again, that it has this impact on our relationships with two parties, right? 
First and foremost, it develops high esteem in the sight of God. High esteem in the sight of God. Think about it this way. How precious it must be for the Lord as he peers into our hearts. And as he peers into our hearts, what he finds there is his word. How much joy must that bring our Heavenly Father? Because ultimately, what he sees is a reflection of himself, which is the most beautiful thing in the world. And so as you allow God's word to enter your heart, there's this favor, this high esteem in the sight of God. But also notice it's also with our relationship with man. Because our relationship with God should impact our relationship with man. If it's not, then we have problems. You know, how can we love man who we can see when we, or how can we love God who we can't see when we can't love man who we can see? You know, so the, the idea is that if we truly are touched by the love of God, then that love should flow to the horizontal. It should flow out of our life to the people who we come in contact with. And so his love, his mercy, his truth impacts us. And then that impacts the, the, the relationships with people that we have in our life. And now we get to verses 5 and 6. And I imagine that these verses are probably verses that many of you have studied and meditated on and memorized and even held on to. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Notice that we're, we're getting to a portion right now in Proverbs where you have different thoughts, different couplets. You have a couple different verses that go together. And he might jump a little bit. It's not a cohesive thing like some of the other parts that we've already studied. But how many of you have put this scripture to test? How many of you have held on to this verse or these two verses when you were in a season of unknowing? When you needed wisdom, when you needed God to direct you, you had no idea what the future had in store for you, and you held on to these two verses. And how many of you, in your heart, whether you said it with your heart or you said it with your mouth, how many of you have found God to be faithful to perform what he says he would perform in through this word? See, this is, this is a very special verse. It's always been special to me since I've been walking with the Lord and since I've learned it. But, uh, you know, when, when we found out about this pastorate, um, you know, we were praying for a word, for a word from the word, from the Lord. And um, three times the Lord gave my wife and I this passage of scripture, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And it was a blessing. It was amazing that God spoke to us, Right? Now, the challenge, though, is that this verse doesn't tell you what the outcome is. <laughs> so, you know, during this process, it's like, I just want the Lord to say, Luke, I've called you to pastor Calvary Chapel Cumberland. And he could do that. I believe he could do that, whether it be by a spirit to my heart. He could do that through a word of prophecy. But more times than not, isn't it true that he just gives us enough? He gives us just enough to take that step of faith. But we don't always see the outcome. We don't always see where that step's going to lead us. 
And I think there's different reasons for that as we, we're going to dissect this text here in a minute, but I think there's a couple reasons for that. I think, you know, one, one is that sometimes I don't think we can handle what he has in front of us because we're, maybe we're not ready yet. Even if it's a matter of days, you know, God has a way of working through his word, by his grace, through his spirit, of preparing us for what he has in store for us in the future. And if he was to show us, imagine if he was to show us what he has for us this time next year. Some of us would be freaked out right now because there's no way I could handle that where I'm at right now. But doesn't he have a way of giving us by his grace what we need for that moment when we need it? I've often been asked, you know, do you think that you would ever be willing to die as a martyr? And my answer is always pretty much the same. You know, I I believe by God's grace, if he ever had me in that position, I believe he'd give me the grace when I needed it. Right now, I don't have that grace, but I trust in him that he would give us whatever it is that we need in that moment. And so sometimes as we're turning to a a portion of scripture like this in verses 5 and 6, we want to know everything. Lord, show me the plan. Show me what you have in store for us, Lord, you know, and I will just walk by faith. I'm just going to be a good Christian boy or girl. I'm going to follow you wherever you want me to go. You know, he did that to someone named Jonah, right? And remember Jonah, after Jonah found out what his assignment was, he went the other way. (laughs) And I wonder if that would be us at times, if he just unfolded everything before us. So, you know, I wanted God to speak to us. Lord, just just show us, just show us. But he has a way of leading us, of guiding us. And let's look at this verse to see how this works practically. We're going to see these verses could be broken down into four parts. First off in verse 5, notice the first part. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And that's the heart that you've been feeding the word of God, right? That's the heart that the word's been written there. That's how you learn to trust him. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So as you allow the word of God to enter your heart, all of a sudden now faith begins to spring up. That's how we learn to trust him. How can you trust someone you don't know? It doesn't work. You have to grow in your knowledge of someone before you trust that person. And so trust in the Lord with all your heart. That word trust, it's an absolute certain dependence. And it speaks of lying helpless face down. And it pictures the servant waiting for the master's command, ready to obey. The servant doesn't know what the master has in store. But the servant's heart is one of trust. Not in the circumstances, but in the master. In the one who's going to give the command, the one who's going to open the right door, the one who's going to direct and guide. And so our trust is in his word, in his ways, in his wisdom, his love, his power. The fact that God is involved in our lives allows us to begin to trust him. And notice the second part that we see in verse 5. And this sometimes is a tricky one. And lean not on your own understanding. Right? Anyone ever try this? If, if, if most of us, I think, were honest, isn't our life, hasn't our life as a Christian gone so much different than what we thought it would have? If you would have told me six months ago that I would be standing here in Cumberland, Maryland, speaking to you, I would have said, you're nuts. I didn't even know where Cumberland was. <laughs> I mean, I heard about it. I knew it was roughly in Maryland somewhere. 
but we lean on our understanding so often. We have this view in our head. This is how God works. And maybe you've seen him work in the past or you've seen him work in other people. And you think, okay, I got it. I got God down to this science, you know. He does this, then he does this, and then he does this. And then as a Christian, you grow, you realize you know nothing. And I think you could equally say, lean not on your lack of understanding, right? And the word lean here, it means lean not. And the picture is that you, you don't want to lean on a broken crutch. Because if you lean on a broken crutch, what's going to happen? You're going to fall. And so as we lean on our own understanding, it's like leaning onto this broken crutch, pretty soon we're going to fall. It's not going to support us. It's not going to give us strength. But notice, I want to point out something out here. It doesn't mean that we check our minds out at the door, okay? It doesn't mean that we don't factor in the Word of God. It doesn't mean that we don't factor in wisdom and, 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 and counsel and insight. But rather what it means is we don't rely on our own cleverness or our ability to discern the mind of God about a situation. We realize we only see a small part, right? We see what's right in front of us. And we make a decision so often on what's right in front of us. You know, One of the wise things we should do is not look at right, right in front of us. We should always get that long view. Because God sees the eternal view, right? He sees the big picture. And so part of our maturity, hopefully, is not looking at what's right in front of us. We need to always play things out and see the big picture. But even then, we still can't lean on our own understanding because we don't know how that big picture is going to play out. You know, we're, on the, we're at the parade and we're watching the floats go by. <laughs> he obviously sees everything. He sees the whole parade. So he knows when this float's going to, you know, get a hole in it and just fall on everyone and... You know, we, we we're surprised by that when that happens, but he's not in our, in our lives. And, and so often, I think, in everyday life, isn't this a challenge? You know, maybe it's an apartment that we want. And in that apartment, it just looks so good. You know, it's perfect. It's everything we wanted, or a house. And then all of a sudden, the door closes. And as a Christian, we're, we're like, where are you, Lord? I wanted that apartment so bad, Lord. It was perfect. Was it? You don't know who the neighbors are. You don't know who the neighbors will be. You don't know if a fire, God forbid, would burn this building down in six months from now. You don't know if there's cockroaches. You don't know a lot of stuff, right? Or a job, you know, Lord, I want this job so bad. Please, Lord, give me this job. Give me this job. If I was to pull us and say, how many of us have prayed for a job that we got and it wasn't what we thought it would be, right? We're praying for these things, and yet sometimes the Lord closes a door, and we, we were like, Lord, where are you? Why are you not doing this for me when I want you to do it for me? Or a relationship. You think this is the perfect person. And you pray about it, and all of a sudden, it's just not working out. Or people in your life who care about you are saying, hello, <laughs> take the love blinders off. You know, this is not good for you. Lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge him. Seek him. Find out what his word has to say. Desire his will above all else. You know, if I had to say one person that's taught me about prayer, it would be George Mueller. Uh, now, I've never met him in person. He's with the Lord right now. But he wrote an autobiography. And this man started an orphanage and did everything by faith. He never asked a single person for anything, ever. He just prayed about it. 
And one of the things he said about prayer, one of the chief things he said is to, to come to God with a neutral heart. So that whether God says this way or that way, you're flexible and you're willing to go. And so not only are we leaning not on our own understanding, but in all our ways we're acknowledging him. Lord, not my will, but yours be done in this situation, Lord. I don't know what's beginning or end with this, but you do. You are the beginning and the end. And finally, here's our great promise. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths, or he shall make your paths straight and smooth, depending on the translation you have. The, the bottom line is, he is your shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And he goes before you as a good shepherd. You know, uh, Hebrew shepherds, they went before the flock. They didn't go behind the flock and drive the flock. They went before the flock. So everything that would come to the flock had to first go through the shepherd. And, and uh, you know, study Psalm 23, one of our favorite psalms. Most of you can probably quote it. But in that psalm, it says, He leads me beside still waters. Did you know that sheep... They freak out easily. And, and what they say is that if as a shepherd you came to this place of flowing water, that moving water was enough to freak the sheep out. And so the shepherd would go and he'd take these rocks and he would basically make a dam, if you will, to keep the water still so that the sheep would be able to proceed with whatever they needed to do. And so as he leads me beside still waters, he goes before us. He's preparing the way before us. He knows what's before us. It's already gone through him, no matter what it is. And for some Christians, that can mean suffering. But isn't it amazing that the Lord suffers with us? Remember when, when, Paul, when Saul met the Lord on the road to Damascus? What were his first words? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That even as Christians are persecuted, he's there. He's our shepherd. He goes before us. He leads us and he guides us. Isn't that a precious promise? He shall direct your paths. It's a promise. And he will be faithful to fulfill his word. And so there's three ways that we can turn here. We can trust in ourselves and others or God. And the beautiful thing about these two verses is when you've trusted in the Lord, when you've gone through these verses as they prescribe, and, and when difficulty comes, because who here has understood that just because you're in God's will doesn't mean it's going to all go smooth. Just because you're right in the heart of his will doesn't mean it's going to be rosy and beautiful and everything's going to be the way that I want it to be. No, difficulty will come. But when you've prayed through these verses and you know that you know that you know that God's led you, that he's guided you, when difficulty comes, it gives you this grace, this strength to withstand uncertainty and difficulties. Because you understand that your, your father, your shepherd led you to this place in your life. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear, right? But he'll make a way to bear up underneath it. He'll strengthen you in the midst of those difficulties when difficulties come. And then you'll have new things to trust him with all your heart. And go through these verses again and again and again and again. You could live Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 the rest of your life. And God willing, we will. Verse 7. 
Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil, and it will be health for your flesh and strength to your bones. Kind of goes hand in hand with leaning on your own understanding. You know, uh, don't be wise in your own eyes. Pride. Isn't pride a, dece a deceiver? You know, scripture says pride comes before the, the fall. It gives us this false assurance that everything is okay. And, and ultimately, it causes us to refuse to ask for help. Now, I know as men in here, we, we never are too humble to, or too proud to ask for directions, right? We, we always are willing to receive help from other people. Um, but pride causes us not to seek help. Ultimately, it causes us to not to seek the Lord, not to seek Him. We miss out on Him. And notice the remedy of this, as we'll see in the book of Proverbs, is what? Fear the Lord and depart from evil. I, you could almost say the fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. See, how is it that I know that I fear God? So often we, we have these cliches in Christianity and we, we just believe them or we just have this head knowledge of them. and we go, Oh yeah, I fear God. But how is it that I really know if I fear God? How is it that I know that I trust God? Isn't it by my actions? See, I can say I have all the faith in the world, but when difficulties come and I run, it kind of shows me where my faith really is or isn't. And the same with the fear of the Lord. If I truly have this reverence for God, I will depart from evil. That's evidence for me that I truly have reverence for him, that I care about what he thinks. Or do I care about what I think and what I want? And so it's not by what I say, but rather through my actions that I reveal this. And when we fear the Lord and depart from evil, here's what we see here. Remember, your father wants good for you. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. There's this new vitality as we depart from evil, isn't there? Because evil saps us of everything good, everything that's of God, everything that promotes peace and joy and the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Evil just quenches that. And it replaces that with guilt and shame and remorse and doubt and fear and anxiety and, de and de depression. Everything that is not of the Lord, it just, it robs me of the good that he desires to do in my life. And notice there's this, this, this tension or there's this uh, relationship between the, the flesh and what's going on inside of us here. And we know that when people struggle with things like anxiety and depression, we know that that influences the body, right? Your body releases different hormones and increased rates, cancer rates, heart attack rates. Different things are triggered by the way that we think, the way that we respond. Our bodies are so amazing the way God has interwoven us, right? You can't just separate our body with our soul, what we do with our body affects our soul. What we do in our soul affects our body. But when we fear the Lord, we depart from evil. It has this wholeness effect where God does this revitalizing work within us. And it's good for us. Notice in verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions. Again, that word honor. This is a heart issue, right? Notice it doesn't say obey. Honor. It's a, it's a symbol of the heart. See, you can obey and not honor, right? 
you can be obedient to a T and curse the person out or curse God out while you're obeying. But it's, it's a heart issue here. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all increase so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Honor him with your possessions. Whose possessions are they really, right? What do you have that God hasn't first given you? What do I have that he hasn't first given me? So why not give him the best? Why not give him the choice of things? Because it's all his to begin with. See, when you give the best, doesn't that, isn't that a sign of your heart? Like, if someone really important was to come into your house for dinner, and, and you viewed this person as very important, would you just give them leftovers? Oh, you'd be whipping up whatever it is that you're known for, right? Whether it's your dessert, whether it's your, your you know, you make that killer steak, you'd be doing whatever you could to, to bless this person. Why? Because you value them. You value them. And therefore, we are to honor the Lord with our hearts. We're supposed to show him this love that we have for him. Why? By giving the first fruits, the, ble- the best. Why? Because he's worth it. And you'll never outgive God, you know. It's not about money here. It's not about, well, you know, if you just give more to the church, uh, I'll turn that channel real quick. No, but it's about the Lord. The Lord doesn't need our money, right? He's not going broke. He's not ready to claim bankruptcy. No, but he wants you. He wants me. Because he realizes we're what, he's what we need the most. And this doesn't make sense to the world. Did you ever have someone who's not a believer look and see how you live your life and see how you give unto the Lord and they're just like scratching their head like, why would you do that? Why would you give the best to someone that you can't see? It doesn't make sense that you give that amount of money to that ministry that you'll never even step foot on. Why would you do that? I've met people, non-believers, who have actually looked at us in our giving and they say, why do you do this? You know, it doesn't even make sense on paper. You know, we've been in seasons of our life where it just didn't make sense to give. It didn't make sense. But, but I've experienced in my life, I'm sure many of you have, that doesn't he cause our barns to be filled with plenty and our vats to overflow with new wine? Now, this isn't about name it and claim it, prosperity, this or that. It's just God provides. And he does so in a way that far exceeds our expectations. We don't deserve it. But it, what amazes me is it's, it's, by, it's by trusting him with our resources. It's the only place in all of Scripture we're encouraged to test the Lord in the book of Malachi. It's the only place we're encouraged. Test the Lord and see if he's not good to bless us as we serve him and give of ourselves of him. Again, it doesn't mean materially. There are people who leave mother, father, sister, brother for the sake of the gospel. Oh, but they get mother, father, sister, and brother as they go and share the gospel in foreign lands, right? See, sometimes we lose things on this side of eternity that we thought were unlosable, but we gain so much more. In fact, we store up treasure in heaven, and that's where ultimately our treasure should be as believers. And finally, let's just close with these last two verses, verses 11 and 12. My son, 
Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as the father, or just as a father, the son in whom he delights. We see here God's chastening will come to his child. And in the book of Hebrews, it tells us if you don't have his chastening, you're not his. But I want to just point out a difference here between chastening and punishment. Punishment is penalty for actions. Okay? Punishment is penalty for actions. And in God's case, it's always just. In other words, he could punish us and be just in doing it. But that's not the word that's used here. Rather, it's chastening, and it, it implies discipline. And there's a dif- difference, especially when you're talking about human terms. Punishment usually means to hurt, in a way, the way humans punish. You know, I don't like what you did to me. I'm going to punish you by not talking to you or, or you know, withholding something good from you. But discipline is corrective in nature. Discipline comes from a heart that wants to see the best in someone or for someone. And so chastening is discipline. It's meant to teach, change us, and conform us and transform us. Okay? And, and it's ultimately evidence that God loves us. You know, the greatest evidence that God loves us is the cross, right? Like, nowhere else does God ever have to tell us that he loves us other than point to that cross where Jesus died and say, this is how much I love you. Jesus didn't go around telling everyone, oh, I love you. I love you. No, he demonstrates it. He gave his life for us. So the cross is God's great demonstration of his love. But another demonstration of his love for you and me is the fact that he disciplines us. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, he likened this, God's chastening, to a work of art. And remember it says that we are his workmanship. The word in the Greek is poema, right? We're, we're his work of art created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so Lewis, he likens the chastening of God to a work of art. And he says if this artist was giving a picture or this work to a, a child, he's probably not too concerned about the finished product, you know? If you're giving a picture to a two-year-old, you just slop something together and a two-year-old thinks this is the greatest thing daddy's ever done. But if it's your masterpiece, then the artist will take endless trouble to make sure that the picture is conformed to the perfect image that he so desires. And if that work of art could speak or feel after being rubbed and scraped and recommenced for the 10th time, it would probably wish that it was simply a thumbnail sketch that could be over in one minute. And in the same way, it is natural for us to wish that God had designed us for a less glorious destiny. But then we are wishing not for more love, but for less. See, when we go through the Lord's chastening, it's not pleasant, is it? When we go through difficulties in this life, trials, temptations, and there's this chastening of the Lord, he's, he's disciplining us as his children. And it's not always because we've done something wrong, right? It's because he's doing something right. It's because he's transforming us. He's forming us. We are his workmanship. He's the potter. We're the clay. And when we're on the potter's will, we think, all right, Lord, I wish this was just short and simple and quick. You know, for some people, I wish I just died a quick death. But it's years for some people. 
It's long seasons of suffering and difficulty. And we wish it was just that snapshot that was here and gone. And therefore, we're asking to be a lesser work of art. Isn't that something? We're asking for less love. But the problem is that our Father loves us with a love that we can't even fully understand or grasp. A love that is deeper than the oceans. A love that is, goes so much higher than what we can even fill our minds with. And therefore, his discipline and his chastening has eternal consequences that he's working in us. And it's in us, right? He's transforming us from within. The outward person, we see that starting to unravel a little bit. But the inner person, that's what Christ is working in and for. And so because we're his precious work of art, created in Christ Jesus, God painstakingly conforms us to the image of Christ, even when it's extremely painful. And think about it, the cross was extremely painful. But notice the challenge here in our scripture. My son, notice two things he challenges us with. Do not despise nor detest. See, our attitude with regard to his discipline will affect the outcome. If I have a negative understanding of his discipline, if I'm always complaining in the midst of his discipline, if, I, if I'm doing nothing but avoiding the discipline and taking my eyes off the Lord, and if I'm not allowing him to teach me, then maybe I'm going to have to redo the class. You know, in some areas of our lives, maybe we've been in seventh grade for 10 years. But when we have a right attitude and we understand who it is that's disciplining us for our good, he's reminding us, don't despise it. Don't detest what the Lord is doing in your life. See the big picture. See things from his perspective. That's what the book of wisdom is trying to show us tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And uh, God, just for the wisdom that you give us, thank you that you, you love us, Lord. And maybe some of us are going through seasons of chastening, Lord. And it's not even things we've done, Lord, but yet you have us going through the ringer. And some of us, we might not even know how much longer we can handle. But we thank you, Father, that you go through that ringer with us, Lord. You go through suffering with us, even when suffering conforms us to the image of your Son. And you meet us even in death, Lord. So we thank you, Father, that you're so good to us, Lord. Thank you that you've spoken truth to our hearts tonight, Lord. Would we allow the truth to dig deep within us, Lord, that it would transform us to your praise and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.